Welcome back to another episode of Inside Inside Sales. Brought to you by our sponsor, Vanilla Soft, with your host, Daryl Prale. Join us as we interview industry experts in the dramatically growing field of inside sales and sales development. Tune in as Daryl brings you actionable strategies and tactics that can immediately increase your sales and success. So you ready? Hey, Daryl. Thank you, Paul, and welcome to another episode of Inside Inside Sales. How you doing, folks? Daryl Prale here, as always. Ah, love my show. The only show on the Internet, the only show in any podcast directory you're ever going to find that talks solely and exclusively to the sales development rep. As we like to say here, no management speak, no vision, no strategy, just hardcore, pragmatic, real, tactical advice that you could action and implement immediately with every single episode and make yourself a more successful, more productive, more capable pro at what you do. Today, I've got a really cool cat on. You're going to like him. His name is Nick Avosa. And I'm going to hope I said that right because I can never get it right. He's with a pretty cool company called Exago. Now, if you don't know Exago, they're in the business intelligence game. And uh, that opens up a whole spectrum of possibilities from the SDR point of view, right? The whole analytics. How am I performing? How's the team performing? If I did an A-B test and whatever it is I'm doing on the phone, on the email, social, whatever, you know, how does that work? What are the analytics? Let me analyze myself. Let me continually A-B test myself so that I can continually have better results, better open rates, better connection rates, better close rates, better conversions, and I make a lot more money. And I proceed down the road to my career path because I love what I do, but I recognize it's not easy, and I recognize that every little nuance that you fine-tune makes me that much more better and that much more marketable in a very aggressive marketplace. So Exago, not only is a pretty cool tool, it's something that you can totally see how you can action for your own selfish purposes as you try to gain power in the uh, in the pursuit of success. So that's uh, that's Exago. Nick, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great, Daryl. What an intro. You like that? I totally made it up on the fly. It drives some of the people here that I work with crazy. They absolutely hate that I wing it, and I wing it every single time. I don't have time to write the scripts. I just do random, flowing train of thoughts. Sometimes good, sometimes not so much. But there you go. That's life in Daryl land. Now, Nick, you're an interesting individual, especially because your role, you're actually not, for context, you're not a full-fledged, on-the-front-lines, every-single-day sales rep, but you are a sales engineer lead. What does a sales engineer lead do at Exago? A sales engineer lead at Exago is kind of a pivot for the technical sales folks here at our sales team. They have many needs from earliest points of the pipeline all the way to just before signing a contract where the product is involved, where technical concepts are involved, or where highly technical things need to be brought down to not-so-highly-technical terms. And that is where our sales engineers find themselves. The lead part just means I find fun projects to fill the rest of the time to hopefully make our sales process just a little bit better uh, when we're not on the calls physically. So right about now, the audience is saying, well, Daryl, I'm sure Nick is a fine fellow. 
But tell me, why are we listening to Nick? Because he's actually not a full-fledged sales development rep. He's a sales engineer who works alongside the sales development reps for those complex sales. And that, my friends, is a wonderful question. Let me give you the answer. Because it's like this. As you all know early on in the sales development process, the initial questions, the Q&A, the back and forth, the to and fro between you and your prospect is somewhat scripted, somewhat subjective, somewhat formulaic. You do it a thousand times a day, you become really good at it. Where it gets hard is when you are on the line with an equally capable, technically proficient individual who's countering you, who's giving you objections, who's asking you to prove that your technology is better than somebody else's technology. Your services are more capable than somebody else's services. And that is the role of the sales engineer. The sales engineer has to answer hard questions. And that, well, that's the topic today, what we're talking about, how to answer those hard questions. And that is why Nick is here. Nick, I got to ask you, how hard of questions have you got? Have you got questions that made you go, in your mind at least, oh, fiddledy sticks, how the devil am I going to answer this one and still sound credible and not upset my sales colleague, but still be truthful and, and helpful with my prospect, but not lose this sale and keep it moving forward. Have you had that happen, I'm guessing, once or twice in your career? I'd say it's probably happened once or twice this week, uh, let alone the, the career. It is a, a fairly common occurrence. So what do you do? I mean, let me ask you. Now, are you often in the same room? Because I know we're in the world of distributed forces anymore, uh, workforces. Are you often in the same room with your sales colleagues or not? Because that's important. We're usually in the same hallway thereabouts. We have a couple of remote folks, but not necessarily the same room. So I could run down and make frantic waving arm movements outside their windows, but I'm probably not tapping them on the leg. Do you have like uh, an office messaging system like Slack or something that you're conversing on in real time while these meetings take place? Slack, Zoom, chat, whatever is easiest. Sometimes uh, email can hide away. But yeah, we have we have a couple of real-time means to communicate with one another. And does the messaging, the visual cues, the body language when you see each other and when you don't see each other, the text messages, are they fast and furious? Like, oh, my gosh, don't blow this dude, you know, answer this right because, you know, this is my commission check you're messing with. And I don't want to go home and tell my wife that I have no bacon this week for the for the baby. Yeah, it's fast and furious. <laughs> but all of these folks, at least the ones that I work with, we kind of know where that that line is that we're toying between. Who's going to approach a certain topic and who's going to approach the other part? Is it the business relationship or is it the actual product? And before we get into that fuzzy line, we try to make sure we know uh, how to tie that off. And it might just be a matter of a quick message. Do you want to take this one? No, it's all you. And then we can jump back in it. So we don't usually have too much trouble in terms of who should talk at any point in time, but the content can be difficult. I know when we were talking about this, you raised an interesting point. You talked about a common mistake you see when people are thinking about how to respond to hard questions. You said people should never assume the prospect is not reading your content. And then you went one step further, which was interesting. You said you should know your content better than they do. Talk to me about that. I think this is a content as a, as just an overarching idea. I think a lot of folks, at least the ones I talk to are in software and saying this around the same problem, but with design, you design something to do something. You picture the way it should work perfectly. You picture exactly how someone is going to use something and they find every conceivable possible way to use it differently. 
than you anticipated. And I think documentation and content runs into the same wall. You write an article with a perfect group in mind and you get it out there and somebody reads it and pulls something from it completely different than you intended and challenges you on that content. And if all you do is know the title or just the basics of that content and you don't actually get it, you're likely going to find yourself at least scratching your head trying to figure out how do I talk about this? We're talking about two different things, even though it's the same article. So that's that's kind of where I was feeling. Do you find your prospects, because it's the classic case, right? Let me back up a second. It's important to, to understand this. What do our prospects do before they ever talk to us? Because chances are they're not going to talk to us until the middle of the funnel. You know, they've done their Google searches to find you as a, as a technology or as a service provider. Maybe they found you through a word of mouth referral. Maybe they found you through a review site like G2 Crowd or Captera. Uh, but either way, they found you, or even if you found them initially before they respond back to you, they're doing this exact same research and they're online. And, and, and maybe you pass that first initial qualifying call and now they're doing due diligence. They're drilling down deep because they're trying to find a reason to say no. That's what everybody's trying to do, right? Everybody's trying to find a reason to say no, not because they don't want your product, but they want to make sure that there's no red flags. They want to make sure that there's no risk. And part of that is literally reading every single white paper, technical paper, blog post that you've written or that you've contributed to or shared on social media. So let me ask you this, Nick. Uh, do you find your own, whether it be yourself or other sales engineers you're mentoring or even just your sales develop, development reps you work alongside, do you find they know the content, or are you having to remind them to know the content? That's a tough question. It sounds like you're walking me into that one. I'm not trying um, to – do not name names, okay? So we'll protect the innocent. No, We're no. just talking big picture here. I think it varies. I think we have a lot of content. I also think, you know, it, you know, looking at our product, looking at what it is we do, it's really wide. And even amongst any of the teams, I don't think anyone at our company particularly knows everything about even the product itself. It's many, many wide reaches at the same problem. And the content probably falls on that same ballpark. So I would say myself and others, we know the content is there. We try to consume as much of the content as possible, especially the relevant content. And sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we don't see something new or sometimes we didn't entirely understand what it was we were reading. And I'll include myself in because it's possible here. And you find yourself at this juncture. Somebody asks you a question about something that you wrote, that you posted, that you put out there. And now you have to find a way to deal with it. I'm a firm believer, for better or for worse, not everybody likes me when I say this to them. Sometimes I, I annoy people that you are, shall we say, the the captain of your of your ship. You are in control as much as possible. And if there's a failure, often it's because you didn't have the foresight. So where am I getting at? I'm getting at the fact that every marketing department, for the most part, does produce a lot of content. Some of it's more technical than others. But if I'm going to be on that front line representing the company, representing the product or the service, but I have to have consumed it. And if I do not understand it, I need to have sought out an in-house expert to say, explain this to me. Because if I understand the content, if I understand the content, then I understand a lot of secondary and related things, such as I understand the messaging that we're leading going to market. I can reuse the right verbiage and the right catchphrases and the right benefit statements over and over again. So the customer experience, or in this case, the buyer's journey, because they're not yet a customer, is consistent. That's the first part. Second part is 
I start to understand how we differentiate from our competition because that will always be expressed in the content, in the messaging. I can then start to use that as a competitive weapon when I'm trying to differentiate myself in those sales conversations. Third, because I'm familiar with the content and I've made the effort, it allows me to recall what content is available so when objections or questions are raised, I know which piece of content to share with the prospect to overcome that objection or to address that objection or to put a check mark beside that box so we can keep the conversation moving forward. Is that your experience? What have you seen, whether it be at Exago or anywhere else, when the rep hasn't made that effort to consume and understand and internalize that content? Well, I can say that I definitely resonate with your perspective on this. So we're not going to be, we're not going to be, uh, anetic at this one. I agree. I think you kind of have to take your own ship and lead it in the direction you want to go and pick up that content and understand as much as possible and want more from yourself than anyone else does. I agree there. What I've seen in situations where maybe that wasn't the case or you get caught off guard is a lot of dead air. What to do in a moment of hesitation, of fear. And now you are caught, you're in a corner, you don't know what to say, your fight or flight's kicking in, and then trying to stammer through or find a way out. That's that's what I've seen most in those situations. How do I get out of the situation now? All right. I'm going to get the answer from you on how to get out of that situation, but we're going to take a quick little break. And then when we come back, Nick is going to tell us how you get out of that situation. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. CRM was designed for managing relationships. Sales engagement is designed for starting them. Current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50% of the time and make less than two attempts to contact them. And they're only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. VanillaSoft is an engagement platform. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing-qualified leads into sales-qualified leads. According to user reviews, VanillaSoft will increase your pipeline and productivity by three times or more by ensuring each new sales lead is engaged within seconds persistently and with the cadence that's optimal for your prospects. Don't let your sales leads fall into a black hole. Take your lead engagement and sales qualification out of your CRM. Try VanillaSoft for free at VanillaSoft.com. We're back. When we left, Nick left us hanging. He was sharing memories of moments that I have personally experienced so many times, the moment of dead air, because you were asked a hard question. So when they ask you a hard question and you don't know the answer, what's the response? How do you handle it, Nick? I like to say, I don't know, but I can find out. Whoa, that's mind-breaking. I don't know. Like, if you say, I don't know, isn't that saying you're a moron and that you don't understand the product? You might as well just go and buy the competition's offerings because we're useless. Is that not saying that, Nick, or is that saying something else? I think it says something else. I think it physically says something else, but I think it kind of emotionally says something else. I think the emotional part is more important. It says, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I don't know. And I can find it out. Those true statements, regardless of what it is you don't know. You could ask me about brain surgery. I don't know. I could Google it, but uh, maybe I shouldn't be the one performing it, but I could definitely find out. And I feel like that's a safe move 
under hesitation, under pressure, because you always can find out, especially in a limited market space. We have so much information around our world that we can find out that we don't know. So people will trust you when you just tell them, honestly, you don't know. I don't think I have ever had a negative response or somebody say, really, you didn't know that when I've said, I don't know, but I can find out. You nailed it. You nailed it, you nailed it, you nailed it. And this is what some people don't understand and they have this fear. And it's not about fear. In fact, remember what we said early on? We said people are looking to say no. They're looking for reasons that are flags why I shouldn't do business with you. But what they're also looking for, what we didn't talk about, was they're looking, said another way, they're looking for reasons to trust you. Because if I'm going to give you money, there's a lot of eyes in this company looking back at me if I've made a bad recommendation or a bad decision on the vendor, the technology. So I'm looking for reasons to trust you. And the I don't know delivered properly with sincerity combined with the eventual follow-up saying, okay, it's a day later or whatever. Here's the answer I promised to get you. Here it is. I followed through with my I don't know. Builds trust. And that trust leads to an eventual deal because they recognize, A, you're human, B, you're looking out for them, C, you may not always have the answers, but you're going to get them answers. And that's all we ever want in a partner, isn't it? It's somebody who will work with us, not necessarily somebody who has all the answers all the time. But the other part is interesting, and I know we had this conversation, was often they'll ask us a question, and we think we understand what they're asking, but but maybe we don't. Talk to me a bit about that, Nick. I think it's interesting because I think back to all these different movie scenarios, all these dramatic scenarios where someone asks a question and the direct response is another question. And then there's this faux pas around, well, don't answer my question with a question. How dare you? Didn't you listen to me? But I think in this situation, it's funny because I was working with a colleague here. I was helping to train for a scenario. And he said, do you think we could build out a cheat sheet, a bunch of uh, quick answers to questions in demos? That could save us, you know, in case of, of a tough question. I said, no, probably not. Because the way someone asks that question, even if there are a handful of similar questions, but the way someone asks that question or why they're asking that question is going to vary every single time. There's no direct singular answer for one direct singular question because there's a thousand ways to ask the same question. So how do you get around that? How do you make sure you understand what they're really asking so you know how to respond? I think you just search for a little bit of clarity. You respond with some context, reiterate some of what was said, make sure that they know you are listening, that they understand what it is you're asking them, but try to reframe it in a way that you feel more comfortable providing a direct response because you could answer the question wrong by making an assumption or you could answer it contextually wrong by answering the wrong question. And I think you just want to make sure that you totally understand what it is they were asking before providing an answer because now you're going down a path. Now you're choosing which way you're going to go in this scenario and you want to make sure that you're going the right way. There's no rush. So I'll share a story. It's not a sales story. It is a relationship story, which sales is relationships. I firmly believe that between me and my lovely wife. If anybody ever follows me online on LinkedIn, you'll see that I occasionally post videos where I actually ask my wife questions and she is so sweet and innocent. She is so far removed from my world that you get the best answers that are just common sense. We took this course. It was a marriage course. And it wasn't a marriage course that we go to because your marriage or your relationship is in trouble. In fact, it's the opposite. It's your marriage is doing great. You want to keep on going. So, you know, every couple of years, go away for a weekend and do this course and, and revisit your relationship. And one of the things they were teaching us was communication skills. And they taught us how to ask for context. So 
role play here for a second, she would have said to me something like, oh, Daryl, I hate when you look at your phone during a meal. And we would, especially if you're a dude, if you're a woman, you can think about this and, and laugh at the dudes. We just want to fix things. So you're just like, okay, I'm not going to look at my phone anymore. But what they taught us instead was that may not be what she's really saying or they're really saying. So you have to kind of repeat the question back to them and ask for clarity. Exactly your point. So I'm supposed to say, oh, sweetheart, you're saying you dislike when I open and look at my phone when we are together at a meal and you would like me to stop doing that? Is that what you're saying? And then they can either say yes or no or otherwise, but you're kind of paraphrasing back to them and asking for clarity. You're not making an assumption of what the question or what the implied action is. You're asking for context and clarity. And when you do that, that stops the confusion and ambiguity, which is usually when a sales goes off course. So I love that you're talking about never assume that their question is their question. Now, what do you do when they're asking a lot of questions and they're going off in different directions? How do you know what the top issues are? How do you know how to respond when there's a lot of hard questions? I muted for a second so I wouldn't laugh over you, but it's a, it's amazing how some of these calls go of varying sorts. It could be the first call that one of our SDRs has with someone. It could be all the way at the end of an evaluation or a pilot and we're just about to try and figure this thing out and someone new comes into the puzzle and they have a hundred questions. Yeah. What are they trying to do? They're trying to do a quick comparison. They're trying to get a bunch of yes, nos, check boxes, but I firmly believe and I always see that there's something really important driving the list. There's some priorities. There's some reason why there's a list of questions. There's something at the top, and they just try to pick out what those are. What really finishes this up? You might have 30, but if there was only three, what would they be? So you're kind of saying you're almost forcing them down a certain path. You're forcing them to say, of all this list, I need you to prioritize three. And then you're not telling them what three. They're going to pick the three. And because they picked it and you try to focus on that, they feel like they're still in control of the situation and that you're delivering what you're doing and everybody wins. What happens if they come back to you and say, but there's more than three? I have 42. Like, how do you handle that? They almost always do, ironically. They always say, well, I'm not evaluating three criteria. I'm evaluating 50. I say that it could be three, it could be more, you know, I'm just trying to get a handful of things that really drive the focus of of why we're talking in the first place. And I guess depending on where in the cycle we are, how early or how late in the whole process we are, the ultimate goal is a little different. Either we're still trying to figure out what it is you need, we're trying to figure out why this came up so late that these new questions, these new items have been introduced. Did we miss them? Should we have gotten them the first time? Didn't Did we not have this conversation in the first place or early on? Is this going to change how we deal with you? So I think it's just a matter of saying that, especially early on, especially with the folks that are listening on on this, it's not that we won't get to those things. It's that we need to make sure that we prioritize what you're prioritizing because the entire process, all of this, like you said, is a relationship. It's communication. It's making sure that we're on the same page. And if we don't know what your priorities are, we might focus on the wrong things. And the other thing you can do, right, is you can actually, you can segment. In other words, you can say, okay, so from an administrative, you know, point of view, whether it be your technology, your stack, what are the top three things you want to focus on? 
Now, from a user's point of view, what are the top three things they're concerned about? Now, from a management point of view, what are the top three outcomes they want to see by implementing my system? So you're right. It doesn't have to be three, but what you can do, going back to your question about a question that's never a question, and you want to drill down for context and clarity, you can force them to prioritize the list of their needs and their wants contextually around who the actual, shall we say, arbiter is of success. Then, you know, the CEO or the CFO could be the arbiter of an ROI, where the user could be the arbiter of, I like this tool, it helps me achieve my goals, or it doesn't, whereas a technical admin could be the arbiter of, this works and plays nice with my tech stack, and I get what I want to out of it. So I love that. Now, we've talked about hard questions. we talked about, you know, never assume that they haven't read your content Never be unprepared. You want to make sure you know, you know the content, but never assume that their question is actually the real question. You want to ask context. Uh, we've talked about, you know, helping them prioritize so we can keep the conversation focused. We've talked about, I don't know as a viable answer, but what if despite all these tactics, you still need help? They're still pushing you. What do you do? Well, that's why you have guys like me in the team. That's why you have, that's why you have next steps. So there's always going to be something next. There's no real end, I guess, in business. There's just the, the different version of the next step. So you just have to figure out if it's worth bringing those people in sooner. I think there's a real powerful tool in this entire pipeline. It's just, just a sense of urgency. The fact that you're willing to answer something soon as you can to say you don't know, but to go and grab that person and say, I think, Looking at, you know, my team's calendar, we could handle this tomorrow at a particular time. Let me grab them. This seems really important to you. Let's make that happen. I think that sticks. I think people remember that you didn't say, I don't know, we'll get to it at some point, that you really found a way to validate that it's important to them and that you want to do it as soon as you can. You just have to figure out who the right person is to answer that and how quickly can you get those two folks together. I love it. All right, guys. All right, girls. Everybody in between. Sometimes customers ask hard questions. And when they do that, that's an opportunity. Candidly, that's a buying sign. You need to invest in your own knowledge and in your people and in your processes. You need to control the narrative. You need to control the process to make sure you can answer those hard questions. And Nick, you have been a fountain of knowledge here. We love this and these kind of answers. If I want to learn more about Exago, where do I go, Nick? Exagoinc.com. That'll get you our basic information. E-X-A-G-O-I-N-C, exagoinc.com. And, of course, if we want to follow you on LinkedIn, is that the best way to follow you, or is it Twitter or anywhere else? You tell me. LinkedIn, I'm there every morning looking at different things. It's just my name, Nick Avosa. You should be able to find me. And Avosa is spelled A-V-O-S-S-A, Nick Avosa. All right. So, Nick, thank you for your time today. And... Everybody, I hope you got some actionable content out of that, and you can bring this knowledge back to your sales development colleagues. If you like this show, guess what? There's plenty more where this came from. Check out Inside, InsideSales.com. If you haven't, please subscribe, like, follow, review, and share. We'd be grateful. But in the meantime, we wish you a wonderful day. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening once again to another episode of Inside, Inside Sales. Hosted by Daryl Prale, the CMO of VanillaSoft. Tune in every other week for actionable ideas to increase your sales productivity. One of the many shows on the ever-growing Funnel Radio Channel. Sponsored by VanillaSoft. VanillaSoft.